comfortable. Comfortable. Okay, <laughs> great. I love it. Um, so usually, uh, um, in some way, I, you know, <clears throat> talk about the Buddha <clears throat> and as um, taking refuge in the Buddha, but I, <clears throat> in the Satipatthana Sutta, we have read to you the very beginning of the, uh, the Sutta where the Buddha says, this is the path, and if you were to practice it, um, for seven years and for seven months and then for seven weeks and then he says for seven days if you were to practice mindfulness of these four areas of your life you will create the conditions for your liberation and then he says something else that I always bypassed and then it just really struck me and he said putting aside all your worldly concerns and then bringing your presence, your intentions, your beautiful intentions to what your experience is. And I wanted to, um, I know I'm doing it a little backwards, but that's what's okay. coming through. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I wanted to just lift up that taking the refuge is and um, and our practice of liberation actually rests in this putting aside our worldly concerns and that um, it's very difficult to take refuge. It's difficult to turn our minds towards what's going on if we haven't put aside our worldly concerns. and. We haven't really spoken, we didn't really speak about this too much in the first week, so I wanted to lift it up for us, for those of us who are entering into our second week, that this is a, a very upfront invitation. And then for those of you who are just joining us, lucky for you, you get this on the first day you're here. Um, this very intentional putting down problem solving, like, oh, I really want to think about this to solve it. Or if I think, if I figure this out enough, then I'll get the answer. That Buddha is so specific that the wisdom and the liberation that is possible to grow and support and energize happens in the context of renunciation. And the first part of that renunciation is really being willing whenever any thoughts of planning come up or trying to figure out or trying to think through something to really be willing to renounce it. And so I wanted to tell the story that some of you have heard plenty of times but in the tradition of the Buddha who said the same thing over and over again, <laughs> I want to repeat the story <laughs> because it's a story that's apropos of this. 
they feel so powerful to me. Uh, we mentioned that some people don't talk about um, their stream entry experience per se. Ruth didn't either, but in traditionally your masters uh, don't ever support you to teach until you've reached stream entry, which is the first touch of really an embodied, it's not an experience, but the embodied knowing that we are part of life and there's no separate self. And so someone happened to ask her in, in community, so, you know, Ruth, are you like at another stage and um and so um no i think they asked someone else about ruth's experience and this is what this person said about ruth's experience as a deepening of that first stage of awakening she told the story of ruth going on a vacation with her husband henry to mexico and Henry came from a very wealthy family that had a lot of shares in the Santa Fe railway system. And it wasn't just that they were wealthy, they were um, in, in the upper class, higher classes culturally, and they'd been that way for a while. And, um, and Ruth came from a lower middle class family in Germany. She was a school teacher, a kindergarten school teacher, and hadn't really been accepted by the family. And they had married, and it was right before this trip that Henry, her husband, gave her this quite fantastic and beautiful ring that had been his grandmother's as somewhat of an expression of Ruth being acknowledged into the family, that Henry's mother had given it to him to give to Ruth, so it was very special. So they're in the compartment, and they in those days, you know, you had your money in traveler's checks, and so um, they had traveler's checks in Ruth's handbag, because Ruth was um, the one who remembered stuff like that, passports, some jewelry and and um, they were sitting in the railway carriage and this very um, well-dressed man in a white silk suit came into the carriage and started chatting with Henry. And the amazing thing about Ruth is that she was always dedicated to practice. And as was the Buddha, even in his fully awakened, can't go any further place, he practiced all the time. He would go every month. When it started to rain, he would meditate for three months. And I brought the book, but now I'm starting something different than I thought I would say. But um, Deepama, who was also considered fully awakened, she practiced all the time. So um, don't think you're off ever going to be off the hook. <laughs> this is lifelong, the invitation to keep on practicing. So Ruth said, I'm just going to do walking meditation along the, uh, the corridor in the, in the train. 
And so she was doing just the walking that some of us have been doing, lifting, placing, shifting, lifting, placing, shifting. She loved to do walking meditation. And here after her Dharma talks, we would in a circle, walk in a circle, and she would be lift, place, shift. And we used to do that. I don't know why we don't anymore. Anyway, so she's, she's, um, she, she's doing the walking meditation and she has this sort of thought and she's like, I better go back to the compartment. And she goes, Henry is asleep and her handbag is gone. She sees this man in the process of jumping out of the window rolling over with her bag and running. <coughs> and she says, may you go with my blessing so you receive no bad karma from this act. And it was that moment of renunciation and generosity that opened her heart into a, the, a deeper awakening second stage. So how, how, you know, how profound our letting go is. And when we think that we're letting go of thinking and coming back, that it's just like a good thing to do, um, it's so much more powerful than that. It's a moment of creating the conditions for freedom, every letting go, and a letting go of our thinking process, letting go of any wanting, being willing to do the work of letting go of any anger, resentment, shame, blame, and judgment, at least starting the process. This practice of renunciation is such a profound and deep one. And so as we move into um, uh, our second week together and our first week for some of you and a dipping in for some of you. Um, I'm not only calling in wisdom, I'd like to call in for all of us the practice of renunciation. No, that wasn't really a refuge. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> Can take refuge anywhere. <laughs> mm. Do you want to go ahead and just do something? Yeah, so um, I love that story. And I hadn't heard before that mm. that was the second mm. stage of her mm. awakening. And um, yeah, and what I hear in that that's so beautiful is just that it was right there. But, you know, that's where her mind and heart went. And, and that's part of what I see in the practice, is that the more I practice, the closer those wholesome actions and those beautiful states of mind are, the easier they are to locate. And uh, I don't have to reach quite as far. <laughs> um, and so when we look at the refuges, um, you know, we... I remember the first time I was taught the refuges, the teacher said, well, we're always taking refuge in something. And um, we have a choice. And that's what I think is so beautiful about the practice of the refuges is that we have a choice. We can choose 
what we take refuge in, where we go for peace, where we go for growth, where we go for ease, where we go for safety. And there's so, you know, refuge has that sense of safety, um, that safe harbor that Arena brought in um, on one of the early nights. And so we start with the Buddha. And, you know, and it's beautiful when we have been chanting the Namo Tassa homage to the Buddha, enlightened one, the self the self-awakened one. And there's something very beautiful in joining in that stream of reverence and appreciation of the historical Buddha, this person who started something that is still so meaningful. Oh, sound? Uh-oh, yikes. <laughs> Thank you, appreciate it. Um, how is, it feels to me like it still could be louder because I'm not sort of hearing myself. I mean, the extra noises. So um, how is that? Good. I'm not seeing like a big thumbs up though. So I'm, I think it maybe needs to be just a little louder. Can, how is it now? Okay. Okay. Thanks, Lorena. Um, anyone else not, not able to hear? Okay. And Nance, you're okay? I have ear, I can hear very loud. <laughs> okay, so maybe I should be a little softer now. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I was just saying, you know, this, there's this beautiful reverence that we've been joining in of the historical Buddha, this, this person who, like us, born into a human body and experienced all the things that human beings do and got really, really curious about it. And of course, you know, it said that um, the Buddha, now I'm getting like a (laughs) something else, maybe I went ask for too loud. Let me regroup. Born into a human body just like we are, and with the same tendencies, but a lot of work that had gone into many previous lifetimes, it said, It said that the Buddha spent countless eons perfecting the paramis, these beautiful qualities of generosity and virtue and renunciation and wisdom and energy and patience and truthfulness and resolve and loving kindness or metta and equanimity that that he spent, you know, many, many, many incarnations perfecting these beautiful qualities in all kinds of different bodies, human, animal, divine, devas. And that over countless eons, that perfecting process resulted in his ability to look so deeply and actually see what was here to the point that he woke up irrevocably. So there's something very beautiful in that. And I also realize when I say countless eons, it sounds like, wow, <laughs> that's a long, going to be a long time. But none of us know where we are on that. You know, if we, if we are believing in rebirth, we've done a lot of work already and um, perhaps countless eons of our own work. So, so there's that reverence for the Buddha and his generosity Um, You know, he didn't want to teach initially. He thought, you know, this would be a little bit hard to explain to people. And I think 
I think I don't want to do it. And, you know, it's said that one of the Brahma gods came to the Buddha and said, no, please, you have to. There are people who will understand. There are people with little dust in their eyes who will listen and who will put your teachings into practice. And so the Buddha did. And the Buddha did that out of compassion. And so when when I honor or revere the Buddha, there's that sense of um, gratitude for his generosity and then all of the generosity of his followers and people who have supported the Dharma for thousands of years. And then what the refuge of of the Buddha is also pointing to is our own capability, our own ability to awaken and the promise that that is within us and that we have access to that and that we can build a bridge to those beautiful qualities within us that are being perfected day by day, month by month, year by year, maybe lifetime by lifetime. And that eventually we too can awaken. And as I was talking about last night, you know, we awaken little by little. You know, we have these moments of awakening. And we have this capacity to keep gathering wisdom, the same wisdom that the Buddha was able to gather. And that when that moment is right, we too can awaken completely. In the Mahayana tradition, the framework is that we are already awake and that that awakening is covered. And remember the story about the rabbi and the Christian monks and they, mm-hmm. the, the abbot came back and said, one of us is a savior. And I love that story because it points to that we are already awake. It's both and the developmental and this this um, uh, diff- another invitation or orientation. And I'm just saying that because how different would it be if we acknowledge like right now here we're together and each one of us is already awake and that that's another way of taking the refuge i'm already awake you're already awake and that it isn't that we have to find something which actually you spoke about so beautifully last night but that it's this renunciation and uncovering of what is already here. Both orientations are beautiful, but not but our agreements, (laughs) our community agreements, no but, and, 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 and. We're awake already. Our work is to uncover it through our practice of renunciation 
presence and um, discernment. Should we formally take refuge in the Buddha or should we go through the Dharma and Sangha first? Why don't we do the Dharma and Sangha and then maybe okay, chant? Great. Oh, that's a good idea. Okay. Do you want me oh, to? Do you Dharma? Want to? Yeah. I can start with Dharma. Okay. <laughs> um, can you move your mic up a little bit? Yeah. So I can turn it down. Oh, okay. Online, they can hear the reverb. Oh, okay. All right. So, oh, that sounds pretty good. Like as high as possible. Okay. I know you keep telling me to do that. And no, no, I'm glad you do. I'm just, I'm just kind of marveling that I don't do it. <laughs> I think it's because I, I just feel like my chin will somehow like cover it. Like my chin must be huge, but okay. <laughs> so Dharma, um, this is such a beautiful refuge. They're all beautiful, but Dharma, um, I was out on a walk today and, uh, and I saw, um, well, that'll come up later. <laughs> but, you know, Dharma is the teachings. Yes, the teachings that we, the Satipatthana Sutta, the, um, all of the suttas, all of the beautiful teachings that came from the Buddha and all the beautiful ways that people have interpreted since then. And the Dharma is also everything that's around us. So the Dhamma is nature. The Dhamma is exactly how it is. And so when we are here so close to the land, we are with one of the most beautiful and strong Dharma teachers that we could possibly be with because the land only speaks the truth, only speaks the truth and is always there teaching us. And this is true of everything around us. I mentioned last night that beautiful quote, the contents of this moment are the contents of awakening. We're constantly being told the truth. And this is what we do in our practice is really stopping, looking, listening deeply to what's here, that mind that isn't cluttered with um, concern, but is able to be focused and present and really look at what's being taught to us all the time. So the Dharma has that sense of the, the formal teachings which were generated from a deep exploration of what is here and what is being taught to us all the time by the earth and our bodies and everything around us. Beautiful, thank you. So then I'm going to go on to the Sangha, okay. because the Sangha is that, is that as well. Mm. It's uh, the, um, everything that we relate to, right, that is, is, um, uh, contributes to our lives. Uh, the food we eat is Sangha supporting us and mm. sustaining mm. us. And um, the farm workers are Sangha because they're part of that process. And the waters are our Sangha because without them we wouldn't live. These beautiful supports to our being that enable us to practice. And every, every, everything is Sangha when it's held in the relationship of um, 
how does this support me and what can I learn? And that Sangha then, in particular, we here also are Sangha in the ways that we keep mirroring back to uh, each other what our possibility is. You know, in one moment of um, forgetting and then I'll see someone walking in the walking meditation and I'm reminded again that, um, oh right, I forgot. So we're, we're supporting each other and teaching each other. Um, It would be impossible unless, unless you're a Buddha. This is what the Buddha said. He said the distinguishing mark of a Buddha is that he awoke without a teacher and a Sangha. And so their teachers, specifically Thich Nhat Hanh, who says that without teachers and Sangha, it's impossible to be on this path. And so that we could say in taking refuge today that without each of you, it would be impossible to practice, would be impossible for me to practice. And the same for you, that each of us is part of why we can practice and we can take refuge in that. That... um, your presence and practice literally support me and my presence and practice supports you. Thank you. So then, um, if we like, if you like and it feels comfortable to you and you'd like to, we could offer the refuges together and uh, using the chant Buddham Saranam Gachami and before that we can uh, chant the Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato. So the Namo Tassa Bhagavato means homage to the Buddha. So just taking a moment to touch in to your own intentions in your own heart. And then if you'd like, I'm offering this chant of appreciation of the Buddha, and then we'll go into the refuges. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa Buddham saranam gachami, dhammam saranam gachami, 
Sangam saranam gachami Dutiyampi buddham saranam gachami Dutiyampi dhammam saranam gachami Dutiyampi sangam saranam gachami Tatiyampi buddham saranam gachami Tatiyampi dhammam saranam gachami Tatiyampi sangam saranam gachami to the precepts which we introduced on the first night, took together, talked about together, and we want to uh, look at them again. And I think what's so beautiful about the precepts is um, this is our foundation. This is really the starting point for practice. And I don't know if I mentioned it or not on the first night, but the Buddha said in more than one place, if we practice ethical integrity, if we practice kindness and consideration um, and respect of each other and all living beings, that that leads inevitably to full liberation. And that that's the place that we start. And moving out from there, everything builds from that. And it's also the foundation of our community. It's a, a container for us. It's a safety. It's a refuge in and of itself uh, because it's a, a way that we give each other safety. It's a way of supporting each other as Sangha. And uh, the first precept is um, I undertake the training to abstain from taking life. And we can expand that into non-harming, and we can expand that into caring for. And it's basically deep respect for life wherever we find it, in whatever condition we find it, whether it's life that we like, like the beautiful rabbits, or whether it's life that we find sort of difficult, like the flies. Whatever, wherever we find life, we want to respect and honor it. And of course, the life of each other and the well-being of each other. Um, yeah, and so just practically, I know I know we've all been practicing with the flies and the spiders and um, the lizards and whatever we find running around our rooms. Um, I went out on the same walk I went out on today. I saw a tarantula like like Marion did <laughs> last week and uh, just amazing to be in the presence of such a beautiful being. And it was only the second tarantula I've ever seen in my life. And interestingly, both of them 
on Halloween. <laughs> 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 um, but I say that because I was out walking and I was just noticing like, you know, how when we're really thinking in that term of like, how do I tread lightly? How do I not cause harm? I mean, how do I literally tread lightly? And how do I figuratively tread lightly? And, you know, that treading lightly, I mean, you know, I, whenever I see an anthill, it's like, I just know, okay, that's a community there. Like, obviously, I'm not going to walk over it, but I'm even going to walk like three or four feet to the side so that I'm not harming any potential people or little beings coming back to their home. And that care extends to ourselves too. How am I caring for myself and not causing harm to my own being, to my heart or my mind? And uh, it can be a beautifully expansive precept because we can keep looking for ways of non-harming, ways of caring, ways of respecting each other and the life that we're allowed to share in here and the beauty of this place. Thank you. The second precept is refraining from taking what isn't freely offered. And what a powerful um, invitation for inquiry of what does that mean? What does it mean in, in how we relate to the resources that we've accessed? What does it mean in terms of saving the earth? It's just so beautiful. And um, in a more formal way, it asks us not to steal. And of course, that is so deep as well. In, in terms of how much has been stolen from us. It comes back to such a, a, an inquiry around respect and non-harming. So this invitation isn't just formally about, you know, not opening someone's um, backpack and taking something of theirs. It goes into a, an amazing inquiry and maybe that's a class to teach online is to go so deep into these precepts as a as a liberation inquiry uh, for now um, um, orienting towards not taking what isn't freely offered mm. And the third precept is I undertake the training of not causing harm through the expression of my sexuality. And I immediately hasten to say, this is in no way to make our sexual energies wrong uh, or forbidden in any way. It's just to practice with them, to notice them to allow them to be another area of inquiry and to give each other safety. And so on a retreat like this, 
we're asked to be celibate. And that's not to initiate or engage in sexual contact. And, you know, there are, and then really stewarding our energies, you know, really, you know, we're kind of really looking within. And so kind of keeping the energies close so that we can really observe them and know them. And so, you know, you might also look at this precept in terms of touching. And, uh, you know, some of us may be naturally drawn to touch other people, um, but offering safety around touch. Touch shouldn't be initiated without consent. And since we're on a silent retreat and we're keeping the energies close, uh, maybe giving each other, definitely giving each other safety around that so that all of us can feel secure and, um, and safe in our, in our bodies. And, uh, and even, you know, just the energetic expression, you know, that we're just noticing what we're putting out, how we're contacting each other. And, you know, just seeing ways that we can give each other space, not taking what isn't given in that sense as well, energetically. Um, anything to add to that? Thank you. And then next precept is the invitation not to harm through our speech. The first um, practice of that is uh, um, taking our own side and really um, becoming a, um, a, um, what's the word? I'm not like a traffic warden. I don't know why that came to my mind. But you know, like you stop, you know, stop all the cars so the kids can come. Like stop all the harming thoughts, you know, so that our hearts, which are so tender, can, can start to grow. So that commitment to not, to um, the practice, because it's a practice, right, of non-harming. Uh, in our own speech towards ourselves, and then that commitment continues in our expression with each other of not harming in our speech. The Buddha says particularly not gossiping, not talking about people, especially when they're not present, not flattering people for the sake of something to gain, and, um, and not lying. In fact, he said that in all his eons of practice, the one precept he didn't break was the precept of not lying, mm-hmm. of right speech, because it's, um, it's impossible to deepen into the practice, he said, if you lie. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, um, such a beautiful, uh, an invitation to us to... Um, be willing and vulnerable enough not to lie. To know first, to be willing to be truthful with ourselves, which isn't that easy some of the time, and then to be truthful with others. Um, In the context of this retreat, 
we are in the context of silence because we're moving into we're, we've moved we're moving into silence through the taking of the of the precepts we want to also support you to refrain from reading as an act of distraction if you feel you're going crazy then find to read but otherwise the the beauty of the container of of not reading and sort of limiting your journaling and note taking is that it's like um you know when you walking or doing something and uh, exercises or swimming or something and and um, you come almost to an end where you think oh this is it I can't do it and then you go a little bit further and you can feel the strengthening that happens mm. like there's a strengthening that happens mm. when we resist the distraction and mm. we stay with ourselves mm. and that's where that it, it is where something happens and that's why the structure of a retreat is exactly what it is in silence. It's because of the strengthening that happens by renouncing the usual distractions that we have. And that's the beauty of using this container. So that's the invitation, especially for those of us who've been here for a week already. And, um, and, and again, a reminder to limit notes just to the teachers, the cook and the manager. And um, um, that's, yes, that's the invitation of uh, non-harming through speech. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... Uh, all of them, I'm glad you brought that in, Irina, that all of the precepts are really intended to be a support for our practice. And when we're behaving ethically with that kind of beautiful integrity and actively inquiring our ethics, you know, alive and present and interested, you know, when we have that support, there the mind is easier, the mind is quieter, the mind is happier. And those are some of the conditions that allow us to look deeply and to practice and to uh, deepen. So um, all of these are, you know, they're, they're safety for each other, safety for the Sangha, and they're also part of our technology of practice. And so the fifth precept is I undertake the training to abstain from taking or using intoxicants which cause heedlessness. Um, And I love that one because it's like, well, here we are practicing mindfulness. Why would we do something that (laughs) does the exact opposite? So this always comes with the, um, the reminder, this doesn't include medicines at all or any kind of herbal or medicine that you've been prescribed that, um, that you take for your well-being and health. And please continue that. But it, it and it does um, pertain to, again, like, where does your mind go with this? It's like, yes, of course, okay, 
I'm not going to drink alcohol, I'm not going to smoke pot, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to take this or that. But what, what else am I intoxicating myself with? What else am I using to uh, experience escape or distraction? Um, so we get to ever more subtle levels, you know. Um, we can play all kinds of games with ourselves. Like, what can I distract myself with? You know, maybe. And so it's not meant to be like a, don't do it, but it's meant to be like, look at how I'm distracting myself. Where are the places that I'm not fully present, that I'm not willing to be mindful? Uh, and so many of us uh, put away our devices. And, um, and if you would like to, um, you're welcome to add your device to <laughs> the basket in the morning, maybe, um, if people would like to uh, give up their phone or other device for the second week, you'd be really welcome to do that. And um, yeah, and just play with it. Notice, like, where, what's intoxicating me? What's drawing me away? And what distractions can I let go of? Um, Anything else on that one? Okay. It's getting me. Yeah. So, um, so those are the precepts. <laughs> let's let's say them together yeah. and ring the bell after okay. each one like just that. to yes. make a little ritual of it. So, we undertake the training to refrain from harming life. Oh, sorry. Oh, yes. Okay. Yes. I thought you were going to do it the first time, but I will say it and then let's all say it. We undertake the training to refrain from harming life. We undertake the training to refrain from harming life. We undertake the training from... <laughs> we undertake the training to abstain from taking what is not freely given. We, we undertake, undertake the, the training, training to, to abstain from, from taking what is, what is not, not freely given. given. We undertake the training to refrain from harming in our sexual expression. We, we undertake, undertake the, the training, training to refrain from harming in our sexual expression. expression. We undertake the training to abstain from harmful speech. We, we undertake, undertake the training to refrain from harmful speech. We undertake the training to refrain from taking in that which harms us. We that isn't, I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I forgot you said. <laughs> I just feel we need to take a moment and explain there are so many different ways that the precepts are worded. <laughs> and they're all jumbling around. Okay, I'll do mine, but it's really long. <laughs> I under, or we undertake the training to abstain from taking intoxicants which cloud the mind and cause heedlessness. We, we undertake, undertake the, the training, training to abstain from, from taking intoxicants which cloud the mind and cause heedlessness. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everyone.